welcome to season three of Gill Athletics Connection Podcast. If this is your first time here, we're so excited you hit the play button today. If you like what you hear, check out our library of hundreds of past guests that is sure to give you value. For everyone else, we're so happy you've come back. Quick favor, if you haven't already, consider taking a minute to rate and review the podcast. This simple act helps amplify these amazing stories, and we just love to hear your feedback. Heck, we may even read it out loud in a future episode. Okay, that's enough of an intro, right? Let's get to it. See what today's guest has in store for us. All right, welcome back to the podcast. I am so blessed to be your host, Mike Cunningham, here with Gill Athletics. Uh, we're here. I don't even know what episode we're on. 140, 150. We've had just some amazing coaches here in the past, and I'm super excited to talk about today's coach. Help me welcome head coach of Colgate University, Mr. Harless Metters. Harless, how are you, sir? I'm doing well this morning. How are you? Uh, you know, I woke up. It's above 32 degrees. That's always kind of my, as an Alabama boy, uh, I needed above freezing. And so I'm good, man. And I'm here talking to you. What? Come on. What? Where, how else can this get better? Sounds good. I woke up. It was above 10 degrees. And it's a great day in COVID. <laughs> Ooh, boy, yeah. You know, I'm stuck in Illinois now. I married a Chicago girl. So I just get used to it when it's zero and 10. Oh, man. Yeah, it's a little bit of an adjustment, but uh, I'm enjoying my time here in Hamilton. I do my best to travel as much as possible during the winter. It's like, oh, you know, someone in Texas needs me. Oh, someone in Florida needs me. So, <laughs> well, Harless, man, we are just so uh, humbled that you would join us today. Super excited to learn about, you know, your career path, which, you know, I know a little bit of having been involved with you for quite a while and being really good friends with a former athlete of yours. I think that's actually how our first connection uh, ever happened was uh, through Karen Rademeyer. Uh, oh, yeah. Out at Florida State. Yeah, I still talk to her to this day, man. She is she's awesome love her to death uh and speaks very highly of you as a coach of course that takes us back a while karen's way back on the uh coaching career but great kid and uh she's got kids her own now and she actually coached for a little bit and yeah it's amazing how fast the calendar keeps turning it's it's amazing when you have uh you know i'm a um don't take this the wrong way, but you've had this before I have uh kids that you coach that are now coaches. It's like, oh, it kind of hits you a reality check. Like, oh, I've I've been doing this for a while. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Now I've got kids that I coach that have their own kids that are going to college. So I've been doing it for a while. I'm actually recruiting some of their kids, and that's that's just hilarious. Oh man, that is awesome. But that's good. That's called legacy. So that that's truly awesome. It really, really is. Uh, so let's let's get into this, Arliss. So talk to us. Let's uh, kind of get in our way back machine here. Where does track and field start for you? I have to imagine you are an athlete. So maybe where does that start? I'm not sure how far you want to go back, but <laughs> when you say going way back, that takes us back to. Uh, the 1980s when I was a high school student athlete at Sun Mm -hmm. Valley High School in Monroe, North Carolina. So I started track and field my sophomore year in high school. And like all sophomore guys, I started because there was a girl on the team that I wanted to meet. (laughs) Uh, And I went out to practice and sort of watched a little bit to try to figure out what's the easiest way in. And uh, running around and around and around and around the track was not a good option. Uh, pole vaulting was definitely not an option. Uh, long jump, triple jump, you get a lot of sand, you get a little dirty, and that's not the way to go. But there were these kids down uh, by the shot put circle, throwing a ball around, sit around, talk a little bit, take another throw. And that, and, and, and that was my group. So that's how I got started. Were you in any athletics before that, football, basketball, baseball, or this was your first foray into athletics? 
you know, I'd done a little bit of Little League Baseball, but really no other organized sports. Uh, so track and field was my way in. Now you mentioned, you know, kind of surveying the field, if you will, of, you know, watching the runners. Yeah. Check that off the box. Uh, you know, triple jump, long jump. Yeah. Let's not mess around with that. When you finally chose the throws, was it an immediate love for you or was it still just like, okay, I'm just figuring this thing out. I'm going to throw some things around a little bit. I was still trying to meet the girl. So I was out <laughs> there, but, 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 but I wasn't really out there. And, uh, as I as as I as I as I began to throw shot put in discus a little bit more, uh, so I sort of fell in love with it. and Started having a little bit of success, and it sort of grew. I never got a chance to date the girl, but uh, <laughs> things, but, but 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 things turned out okay. I was really hoping for some, you know, it's, it's Valentine's day when everybody's listening, I was waiting for some like true love story of like, Oh, she's my wife. And no, not at all. Didn't even get to a, a date. <laughs> I, am, I am happily married. So I think I got the right one. Exactly. And it led you to track, which I mean, come on, this is a whole career now for, for you. So that's, that's awesome. Shout out to this mystery girl. We'll never know who she is. What an impact she made on you that she'll never know. <laughs> So how did it go? Uh, we're talking about high school. So we're just doing shot put and uh, discus. We don't have javelin, unfortunately, and we don't have hammer really, unfortunately. Uh, how did it go? You said you started kind of getting better at it. How did, how did that uh, go and your coaches that you had with you as well? Yeah, so my high school coach was Coach, Jim, <clears throat> coach Jimmy Sanders, a great guy, did a fantastic job. He was uh, primarily a distance event coach. We had some state championship teams back uh, at Sun Valley for cross country. And we sort of learned the throws together. So back when there was uh, no YouTube, we were watching instructional videos and reading how to throw manuals. And uh, so we, we sort of learned it together. Uh, so I think my sophomore year, when I started, I threw 38 feet with the shot put. And then by the time I graduated, I was... 56 feet 10, which was respectable in the 80s. That was respectable. Uh, these, these kids now, they're throwing 60 feet like it's uh, an everyday thing, and you have a number of 70-foot kids every day. But uh, back then, if you threw 55, 56 feet, that was respectable. First of all, yes, 100%. If you are 50, 50 high, 100%. But what's interesting is when did Michael Carter throw 80 feet? Was that around this time, or was that just uh, Mike's a little older than me, so he had thrown that uh, a lot earlier, but that was just that phenomenal mark. You sort of take the tape measure out and measure out exactly how far is 81 feet, yeah. and uh, it made you feel really small in the, in, the, in the big scheme of things when you looked at how far he'd thrown. That's what's amazing. You're talking about, you know, kids now are throwing 60 left and right, and there's several, you know, 70-footers, and yet back then, here's a guy that threw 80. I mean, yeah. that's the Bob Beeman-esque of shot putting for high school no doubt yeah absolutely amazing unbelievable uh, i can't so even fathom 80 feet <laughs> yeah it's also through the discus in high school and uh just like just like uh and it, it became my my true love um sophomore year i threw maybe 96 feet and then 146 feet as a junior and then 196 feet as the high school senior so i just sort of things started to click a little bit now, this is interesting. You said uh, Jimmy Rogers, I think was you said his name was Jimmy right? Sanders, Jimmy Sanders. So he's yeah. a distance coach by trade, but you two kind of work together and you don't just find a little bit of success. I mean, 
nearly 200 in the discus. That's still rarefied air every year for a high schooler. Uh, mid 50s uh, to the high, going towards 60. What what was it from? Uh, you didn't express like, yeah, as soon as I came out, I was a 50 foot thrower. You know, it didn't come natural in that sense. So you had to be coached and you had to have the self drive to learn. What, what was it? How did that happen? That's quite amazing for a distance coach throws coach. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so coach Sanders was dedicated and um, he, he worked with me day in and day out uh, when there are other local throw throwing coaches in the area that may had a little bit more specialty. They came in and sort of tutored me a little bit as well. But uh, I think that um, I just sort of developed a feel for the event. Uh, there's a, there's the art of throwing and there's the, the, the science of throwing. So it wasn't really the science of it, but just sort of developing a feel for the throw and getting to know your own body and figuring out what worked for you. And um, I'm just, I was just blessed. I think, uh, uh, I think I think a lot of it was God-given talent, not, not necessarily me knowing what I was doing, but uh, just having a, just having a feel for the event. In that great, it's, it's a rarefied air when you talk about the God-given talent, but then you actually find that that lane that he gave you that talent right because it's one thing you, you have that talent obviously because you've proven it in what you've done but maybe you would have joined the baseball team because you liked baseball and you become a mediocre baseball player and here here in the in the alternate world you would have been an amazing track athlete that's so awesome that it lines up that way yeah we talked a little bit about playing a little bit of little league baseball and i was horrible horrible <laughs> <laughs> I would swing at anything. If the if the ball left his hand, I was swinging. If I thought it left his hand, I was swinging and swinging hard just in case I made contact with it. I was horrible. Now, that's interesting because I played one year of baseball as well, fifth grade. And, and, and same story, terrible, except for my stories, the other side, you were much more aggressive. You were much more optimistic. You, you were swinging away, right? I was the guy who was like, mm -mm, that pitch wasn't good. No, 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 that pitch. I never, I mean, literally, I can't remember a single time in that, that one and only season I played that I took a swing until the very last game where I was like, you know what? I'm just tired of not getting any, you know, this is, you know, I'm just out in the left field and things like that. So I did swing and I hit a gigantic, well, I say gigantic. <laughs> I thought it was in my head, it's a gigantic foul over the left. And then I think I, I don't even know if I grounded out the next one, but I remember, I, I remember thinking, you know, feeling that bat and what it feels like when you hit and it was like, Oh, like I, I was kind of jacked up like, Oh man. So this is what it feels like. But then I was like, yeah, and no, I suck at this thing. So I'm, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. I was terrible. Never met a pitch that I didn't like. <laughs> love that i'm, I'm watch rewatching uh, moneyball right now on netflix and so it's just oh that's uh, a great movie it's awesome I, I and i can't stand baseball but i do love that movie just for the whole aspect of it and i do remember the uh oakland a's during that time i was a, you know i was a baseball card kid so i watched some of the games and stuff but anyway anyway uh okay so you're throwing 55 plus uh scaring the 200 uh almost to the 200 meter mark the 200 foot mark you obviously had choices. What, what was it? How did you kind of configure where to go to school? And what were you thinking for a major and like a career at that early age, 17, 18 years old? So that early on in my career, I was really being influenced by my high school teachers. And uh, as a high school senior, I knew I wanted to be a history teacher. I had, a, I had an amazing uh, instructor for high school. He had a great passion for the uh, um, for, for the discipline. And I just wanted to follow in his footsteps and be a high school history teacher. And I knew that was going to be my path. Huh. What was, uh, 
you obviously were influenced by this history teacher. Was anybody in the family teachers or what kind of influence were you getting that route? Uh, no, no educators in the family, but uh, this was just a guy that was making a positive impression on me and I uh, just really loved him. Wow. That's awesome, man. That's really cool. Uh, so where, you know, you, you had a lot of choices. What were you looking at? And then ultimately, where did you end up going? Yeah, so I was lucky. Uh, when I graduated from high school, I think I was the number three or four high school thrower nationally, wow. along with uh, Kevin Fitzpatrick, who did a, who had an amazing career. And I think Kevin was number two. And for some reason, I can't remember who the number one guy was. Maybe because I just blocked them out of the mind. I knew it wasn't me, but <laughs> I remember Kevin. Uh, so I looked at uh, Appalachian State. I'm from North Carolina. My high school coach went to Appalachian State. I visited at University of Virginia. I uh, thought about the University of Tennessee also, but finally ended up at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and was able to be uh, uh, able to work under uh, Coach Dennis Craddock, the head coach there, did a phenomenal job as a leader and building really good championship level teams. And Coach Jeff Gorski at that time was the throws coach. So those guys made a really favorable impression on me and uh, I ended up being a Tar Heel. Wow. Now, I, I, I only know this because our valedictorian at my little old high school, uh, she was super smart. She tried to get into North Carolina, from Alabama. Uh, she tried to get in North Carolina. And I guess the acceptance rate for out-of-state students is like super nil, really, really hard. Is it the same in-state or is it reverse because it's it's more state? And I don't mean to, I don't really care about what your grades were to be real honest with you, but just wondering about the you know, atmosphere of getting into North Carolina at that point. Yeah, uh, North Carolina is a great institution and they are primarily uh, focused on educating students from the state of North Carolina. So yeah. I think over 70% or 80% of the population are students from the state of North Carolina. So that, that other 20%, makes it extremely competitive for out-of-state students to uh, to gain admissions. Yeah, you talk about athletes, which are, I'm going to say, primarily are coming from out-of-state, and then the rest of the state, oh, and the world that wants to go to North Carolina, that, that 20% is uh, very vital to each slot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. extremely competitive. Yeah, very cool, very cool. So, uh, so you go to North Carolina, a great academic school. Did you end up studying education and history or how did the academic side of it go? Uh, I started off with history and then um, I took my first econ class <laughs> and had an amazing econ professor really excited about the material and I knew I wanted to do econ after that. Really? Uh, yep, yep. And then uh, I took a communications class I had an amazing professor in, in communications and knew I wanted to do that. So I was changing <laughs> my major every every year but the common denominator from the history teacher to the econ teacher to the communications teacher wasn't really the material it was just the presentation and how they were presenting it how i was consuming it and that became the common denominator for me so i ended up being a communications major oh that's interesting those kind of three people it wasn't necessarily the subject it was how they were i don't know coaching you like how they were presenting yeah and yeah, you yeah. yeah when people are really passionate about it it's sort of influences you and you become passionate about some of the things they are passionate about and that was really the common denominator but uh all good instructors all good individuals but just their passion for what their discipline was was just really contagious for me that's awesome that's a great lesson about passion i love that if we can find it let it burn that's awesome i love that that's cool so how did uh did you stay so now we're in college so now we do have two other amazing events uh three if you count the weight through of course uh but we have the hammer and the javelin introduced to uh in, in the college side did you primarily stay shot putting discus or did you pick up any of those other implements 
We stayed primarily shot put in discus. Uh, I was at Carolina from 88 to 92. And at that time, the hammer wasn't an event in the conference meet. Um, with really? the end of the, yeah, we started throwing some weight while I was there, but there was no hammer. And uh, javelin was never really my forte as an athlete. Uh, first of all, that's surprising because Gorski was your coach. So I thought for sure you're like, yeah, yeah, we tried. Because I thought everybody had to try the javelin if Gorski is your, is your coach. Uh, but talk to me about that. I did not know this. So the hammer, I'm used to talking about the hammer on the women's side, which didn't get introduced until very late here, you know, recently. Uh, but you're saying back in, call it 1990, right in the middle of your college career, the hammer was not in, I assume North Carolina was ACC still. Yeah, we were well. still ACC. Not an event in the ACC. Yeah, I don't think it came into the ACC as an event until I started my coaching career at Florida State. Um, I started at Florida State in 94. So it's going to be mid-90s when the uh, when the hammer came into the conference meet. Uh, I remember uh, coaching at Florida State and the hammer came in the very first year. They're only like eight people entered in the men's hammer event. <laughs> and my guy went foul, foul. Uh, so we took this, we took the hammer ball in hand, handle in one other hand, just sort of chunked it out into the sector in order to progress to the final. So I'm sure we've got the shortest hammer throw ever recorded in ACC history somewhere. For a final qualifier. Yeah. yeah. Um, was it an event for everybody else, though? What, like, was the ACC just slow on this? I think ACC this was just me. slow to join. I'm sure it was still an NCAA event, and yeah. sure other conferences were competing it, but competing in it. But we just didn't have it. Interesting. Wow, that's that's I would not have guessed that. So, um, how's shot putting discus going? Now you're moving up to the 16 pound and the 2K, which is a crime that not everybody has to do that. But that's subject for another uh, another day. But how how did you adjust to the uh, the, the larger weights? Uh, it was a good adjustment for me. Um, the shot put probably, I threw 56-10 with the high school shot and ended up throwing about the same thing with the college shot. Mm -hmm. uh, I was um, a small thrower for a shot put, only at about 225 pounds, about six feet. So more of a speed thrower, threw with the glide before everybody was rotating. So uh, was competitive within the conference, but outside on the bigger scheme of things, uh, never qualified for the NCAA championships or anything like that. Uh, the discus I had a little bit more uh, um, luck with and uh, continued to progress. Ended up throwing 186 feet with the 2K discus. Uh, was competitive within the conference. I think there were maybe two or three conference titles and uh, qualified for the NCAA championships my senior year in 92 uh, at the Austin, Texas. And that's when I met Cami Cashmary. And if you are of my generation, you will remember that name. Cami uh, Cashmary was the former high school national record holder. He threw maybe 221 feet as a high school thrower. Wow. And he was the, he, he, he was the goat at that time. And being a, and being a very confident high school thrower, I had told myself that, yeah, he's good, but he's never thrown against me. And oh, if wow. we ever get to the same meet at the same time in the same circle, I am confident I can beat him. Tell me you beat him. Oh, no. <laughs> Have you met Kimmy Cashmary? Kimmy uh -uh. is a giant <laughs> of a man. <laughs> I was about six feet tall. Kimmy was probably six, six or six, seven. 
with shoulders out here and a waist like this. And he was truly a, a perfect discus throwing specimen. And uh, I was in awe when I met him. But still in the back of my mind, being overly confident, I was sure I could beat him. So and, the, uh, it was Austin, Texas. And uh, I can remember the, uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the event coordinator called me up for the first attempt. Now up, Harless Meters from University of North Carolina. And I corrected him. It matters. But it was Meters is up. That, that, and would, I knew that's I was, a, that would have been a great thrower's name, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Meters. Yeah. yeah. So on the on the very first throw, I tried to win, and I threw it really hard into the cage. Mm -hmm. But I knew that if I just got it out, that would have been the one to beat Cammy Cashmere. So on the second attempt, I threw it even harder into the cage. Oh no! Yeah, and I realized that my window of opportunity for making the finals and being an NCAA All American. And beating Cammy Cashmere was closing because this was my first and only competition with him. So on the third attempt, I said, you know what? I really need to compose myself, go back, trust myself, trust the rhythm, find my throw. And being the first time at the NCAA championship, I didn't do that. I threw it really hard again, <laughs> trying to beat Cammy Cashmere. And it did get out of the cage, which was promising. Very yes. promising. Yes. I think the throw ended up being a hundred and maybe 160 feet, 171 oh. feet, but it did get out of the cage. And, and I was beating Candace Cashmere at that point. Uh, he was in the second flight. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, yeah, yeah, just wait. <laughs> I don't think he would, I don't think he ever knows who I am. Like oh, many no. other floors, he would just, I know I don't remember you. I have no, no idea who you are, but I was trying to beat him on that given day. I, I'm going to go on a limb and say that that 160-ish throw did not make finals. It did not make the finals. Yeah, though. yeah. Oh, well. Hey, you went for it, though. I did. Like I like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the only way we become champions. Not that day, <laughs> but eventually somewhere down the line. Um, how good of a hammer thrower would you have been? You, you talk about being a speed guy and not a power guy and you didn't have the opportunity to train for the hammer, and you've coached many, many great hammer throwers. Do you think that really was your event that just got away from you since the ACC was behind a little bit? You know what? I may have been a better build for the hammer throw. Uh, we did have the weight throw, and back then I think I threw the weight around 60 feet or so. When 60 feet used to be good with the weight back yeah. then, if you threw 60 feet, you were you you, you were definitely competitive. Um I was still more of a grip it and rip it kind of guy. Mm -hmm. But uh, I do think that um, given some time, the hammer would have been a fun event to explore. Yeah, because, and you know, we, we compare the weight and the hammer, right? Because they're both rotational and you throw a heavy weight out there. But they're non-throws coach here, by the way. Uh, but they're, they're really fairly radically different, right? Because of the weight differential and the length. Yeah, there's some things you can do with the weight and, 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 and throw it, not be a weight thrower, but just throw the weight. Mm -hmm. If you're just big and strong, there's some things you can do that you can't do with the hammer. You've got to have a better feel for the event if you're going to be a really elite level hammer thrower. Yeah. Uh, so you go on, you, you, almo you almost beat <laughs> Cashy Kashmir. Uh, you get a communications degree. What were you thinking career-wise? Was coaching at all in your purview or still teaching? Yeah. It really wasn't on the purview. I was graduating in 92 and like everybody else, I was tired of being a poor, broke college student 
I wanted to get a job and wanted to make some money and start my career. So I graduated in the um, spring of 92 and started working at a Honda dealership selling cars in Chapel Hill, uh, which was fun because I, I enjoyed the communications part because I got a chance to meet a lot of people. Uh, there were some horrible test drivers out there. I could tell you some stories about that, but uh, uh, I, I enjoyed the interaction with the people, but I was not a very good car salesman. <laughs> Uh, so a little bit too honest and said, hey, you know what? We can get you a better price. Just wait a little bit. We're going to drop that down for you. Mm -hmm. So I was uh, trying to sell cars and I got a phone call from Dennis Craddock, who again was the head coach at UNC Chapel Hill. And Danny Williamson at Western Carolina University mm -hmm. was looking for a graduate assistant to come in and work with his throwers. So uh, the opportunity to go to grad school and get a graduate degree uh, on scholarship again was something that I couldn't pass up. So uh, I packed my bags and went off to Cullowee, North Carolina, mm -hmm. and started grad school actually that fall, fall of 92. Now, you mentioned two giants there, and you'd already mentioned the one, and I wanted to make sure we touched on him. Uh, tell me about being an athlete for Coach Craddock. I mean, you know, I, I got to know him a little bit while I was coaching, uh, and he was always one of the most nicest guy. You know, it didn't matter what school I was working at, whether I was a JUCO coach or coaching the SEC, he was just always super nice and welcoming and certainly uh, gave off the aura of like the ultimate leader of like, I run a program. I don't coach this segment. I run a program. Tell me what it was like under his leadership. You know, it was, it was, it was amazing opportunity to be coached by and be led by coach Dennis Craddock. He's always one of my greatest mentors, uh, a tragic loss a few years back when he passed away. But if you talk to anybody that was a part of a Dennis Craddock family and the democratic team it, it, it was truly that he and he he, he enjoyed having a a well-balanced team uh, we had throwers and vaulters and jumpers and distance runners he enjoyed team competitions mm -hmm. and he did a really good job of motivating us and getting us to compete for each other uh, and also getting a chance to compete for the university and he he, he built that honor mm -hmm. and that sense of duty um, as, as well as anybody else I've ever had a chance to work with, uh, truly an amazing guy. When I, whenever you think of UNC track, I still, Dennis is my, my first thought. I still remember, uh, going to ACC's at Virginia one year, uh, when I passed my coaching career now here at Gill and he was sitting on the high jump apron in his uh, chair. And so I just go up and say, Hey coach, just want to say, hi, you know, you're doing awesome, blah, blah, blah. But it, it felt very much. And I mean this in all the right ways of going up to see the King. Like I had to go pay my, like he was just sitting in the middle of the high jump. I was like, Oh coach, how you doing? Everything good. <laughs> you know, uh, tell me, you know, for having a lot of experience working with Dennis Craddock, what, um, Tell me, was there like a memorable story that kind of tells his personality for people who never got the honor of meeting him? Uh, so Dennis was a competitor. I said Dennis, really Coach Craddock. Sorry to call him Dennis. Coach Craddock mm -hmm. was a competitor at heart, right? So uh, when it was time to go to championships, he was looking at uh, ways to pick up um, uh, points in different areas utilizing people uh, for their strengths for the team. So not necessarily your personal strength. Mm -hmm. uh, if we had uh, three guys in the 800 and they were going to place well and you were an 800 runner as well, but you weren't going to help us in that event, you might find yourself on a DMR. You might find yourself in a four by four relay leg and people bought into that. So, well, whatever's best for the team, that's what I want to do. 
Uh, I remember we were looking for alternates for the uh, the four by one. No, actually, alternates for the four by four mm-hmm. in the team meeting. And he says, "Well, you know what? We've got our four, but we we have alternates that we have. We think we need an alternate spot. Is there anybody out here that like to do a time trial to run and maybe be an alternate for this four by four? And you'd have everybody excited about doing that, right? They're putting their hands up. And I was putting my hand up too as a thrower because I wanted to be a team guy too. So yeah, coach, I can run it. And say, nah, Harless, we think you can help us somewhere else. <laughs> so so but, uh, he, but, he, he, was, he was the ultimate competitor. But that's important there. Even though uh, I don't necessarily want to say it's ludicrous that a thrower would be on the four by four because there are some super athletic throwers out there that could make some four by fours, at least scare some four by four relay lineups. But even though you know you were not like, yeah, I'm not going to be that alternate, but there was such, he, he built such a team attitude, team first attitude that it was like, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, sure. If you want me to try, I'll try. Like if that's what yeah. you think is best for the team. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's one of the mantras that you hear say, whatever I can do to help the program. Right. So that's, that's one of the things I took away as an athlete. And one of the things I took as an assistant coach. And one of the things that you take into being a director say, it's not just, Hey, what's assigned to me, but, Whatever I can do to help the program is is, is what we, is what we should be about. Wow, that's you know that's quite a legacy. I mean, that's amazing that throwers were like, all right, let's go. If I got to try it, let's let's do it. If it's for the program, it's for the program. Wow, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and then you, so your first foray into coaching is you're a GA over at Western Carolina with another legend, Danny Williamson, who has coached so many. I mean, his coaching tree, much like Coach Craddock extremely large that's so cool what did you end up uh working for your masters and how did how did that first taste of coaching go you know it was really good i was fortunate to have a chance to work with danny i was with danny from 92 until the fall of 94 and uh he opened the door for me to sort of get into the coaching arena uh when i first went into western carolina i was still throwing a little bit because i was just it's hard to put it down mm-hmm. after it's been a part of your life for so much. So I was attempting to throw and train with the kids and uh, my efforts were getting in the way of me helping my own kids. It's like, um, coach Metters, did you see my last throw saying, no, I didn't see your throw, but watch my foot and tell me where I am on this next one. Help me out. Kind of deal. <laughs> so uh, I, I realized that, Hey, I wasn't servicing the kids the best I could. So I put down the implements, and really put start putting all my in, in, emphasis into coaching the kids. And Danny helped me grow, gave me opportunities to lead. And I'm always grateful for everything he's ever done for us. And he liked Craddock. Well, he was a team guy. Mm-hmm. And he was believed in team championship, team titles, and really creating a family at, uh, a family environment. And so you're getting that taste of coaching. Is this now your, are you set now? You're definitely going to be a coach or were there still other options as far as a career? I think that was it. I mean, being with Danny and helping the the younger kids get better, finding my happiness in their happiness mm. as they got better and improved, um, working toward conference championships there and working toward school records there. Uh, it was really a lot. Of, it was really a lot of fun. So <laughs> I really enjoyed it. And ended up majoring in a master's degree there in the education with focus in physical education. Uh, and I actually became a better student there at at at, at Western Carolina learning how to do the research and find the material uh, graduate school was definitely a lot more fun from an educational standpoint. Hmm. So you finish up your two years degree there and now it's time for the quote unquote real world. You got to go find a paying job, right? Ho- hopefully a paying job. Where, where do we go after grad work? 
Yeah, so at Western Carolina as a graduate assistant, I was coaching and I was teaching classes. I actually taught bowling, uh, <laughs> racquetball, more the theory of racquetball. <laughs> we knew the rules and the guidelines and the anatomy of the court, but I was not a very good player. Uh, but uh, bowling, racquetball, weightlifting, and they tried to trick me into teaching aerobics because they wanted me seeing those purple tights doing grapevine to the right and grapevine to the left, but I didn't fall for that one. As I say, tell me there's a picture somewhere out there. Oh, no, 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 no. no. Good, good. Yeah. All right, good, good. So I finished my graduate degree and actually went back to Cullowhee as a, as a part-time coach and part-time instructor there and started with uh, Danny. And then I got the call from uh, Terry Long down at Florida State University, and they were looking for a throws coach. Um, and uh, Dennis Craddock, who had been a mentor, has spoken very highly of me. Uh, Curtis Fry, who worked at uh, University of North Carolina and that had right. also uh, had put in a good word for me and sort of boosted me up. So I was excited to get the opportunity to interview. So here I was, uh, 94, so it was, yeah, 94. So I was 23, 24 years old and having a chance to interview for a position like Florida State was right. just an honor. So I had a chance to go down there and meet Terry Long and meet that staff and uh, was very fortunate to get that position. So I went from uh, um, Western Carolina straight down to Florida State University as a full-time assistant. I was excited to be doing what I love to do and excited to be in a, in a, at a school with the magnitude and the history of Florida State. You're kind of building your own like Mount Rushmore of head coaches and, and bosses, if you will. I mean, Coach Craddock, Coach Williamson, and now Terry Long. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Ter Terry, Terry's another great leader. Hmm. And I've been very fortunate to be around other great leaders throughout my career. When I took the job at Florida State, uh, I drove down there, didn't have a place to live, had all of my pack, all of my belongings packed up into my 1984 Chevy Cavalier. Yeah. A beautiful, beautiful, beautiful <laughs> top. It, 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 it had a pinup top. And for those of you guys that have ever driven driven a bucket, that means that the, the 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 headliner is coming down, and you take some thumbtacks and just sort of pick it up. So it had pin up top. So I drove that 1984 Chevy Cavalier down to Tallahassee, Florida, and actually got a chance to live with Coach Craddock the first maybe the first month I was there. I was young, fresh out of graduate school, didn't didn't really have a significant savings, and he invited me into his house to live with him. Wow. Co Coach Long. You, you Coach, yeah, yeah. yeah Coach, yeah, Coach yeah. Long. Yeah. He invited me into his house to live with him and amazing, amazing leader. What was there any apprehension of you're going to another in-conference school? So now you got to coach not only against your alma mater, but against Coach Craddock, maybe some of your former teammates, any apprehension at all? Or was like, I just need a job. So this is where it's at. <laughs> None whatsoever. Mm -hmm. uh, this, this opportunity had presented itself. I embraced it wholeheartedly, packed up my stuff and drove down and, uh, uh, my, 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 my main ambition was to make coach long realize he'd hired the right guy. Mm. So, uh, we were, we were, I was living in his house and every day I had to beat him to the office. So <laughs> my, my job was to beat him to the office every day, be there ready to take instruction and ready to do whatever he needed me to do once I got there. Now you spent many years there at Florida state building up an amazing throws culture. I mean, we could list the names. We already talked about Karen Redemeyer, who was a great javelin thrower, uh, Dorian Scott, of course, who, you know, now head coach at UNLV, uh, uh many, many other throwers. What was the, I want to say history or culture of throwing before you got there? Was, was there a lot of throwing success before and you kind of had to just 
carry the torch and make it bigger or, or were you almost building from scratch so to speak no 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 florida state has a rich history of throwing uh so uh bradley pooper the bahamian olympic hmm. uh discus door was there uh pat o'connor was a throws coach before me at there so there's there's definitely a history there um my job was to sort of um rejuvenate it and help bring it back and uh, i was excited to do that i was excited to have the opportunity to do that and you're right i mean it's uh it's hard to believe that it was 18 years down there. So uh, going in as the assistant throws coach and you go in there, you're young. There are a couple of the kids that are on the team that you had competed against uh, and some of the other ones that were, hey, what's this guy know that I don't know? He's only 23, 24. What's he going to teach me kind of deal? So I've, I've had a uh, had the chance to be the young coach on the staff and learn and grow. Uh, with the tutelage of uh, Coach Long and those other and uh, Dennis Nobles down there, they really helped me uh, a lot when I, when I was getting started. Yeah, go ahead and put uh, Nobles on that Mount Rushmore, by the way. Oh yeah, love, yeah. love that really, guy. Yeah, Dennis Nobles is most often the smartest man in the room across any discipline mm-hmm. in the sport of track and field. I don't think there's anything that he can't coach. He's got a wealth of knowledge. Is incredibly humble uh and 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 giving he'll share with you anything that you anything that he has that'll help you grow as a coach Uh, and he's often he's most often one of the smartest men in the room yeah he he does uh he you can't pigeonhole him into an event uh or event group he he i'd put him as a cross-country coach a throws coach it don't matter and he's going to excel at it his athletes are going to excel yeah yeah great guy it's quite common. Tell me more. I want to talk a little bit about this topic here. You mentioned being the 23-year-old, and now you're coach. First of all, 23-year-old, so every kid you're coaching is not that much older than you at that point. Uh, and in this unique instance, there are some kids that are on the team that you had competed against. They're like, yeah, I just saw this guy at conference last year. What in the world? You know, a couple yeah. years ago. That's uh, quite common in our industry where a coach uh, will have competed and at 22, 23 years old as a GA or an assistant coach, and maybe not necessarily have competed against this, the same kids, although that, that's not uncommon, but definitely the age of 23. And it's like, well, well, what do you, I mean, just when I get my degree next year, does that automatically make, make me smarter enough to be a coach? You know, what, what is it? What, what advice do you have for kids? I would say kids at 20, I'm old enough that I can say a 23 year old's a kid still. Uh, but these, these young professionals, men and women that are, they have to become professionals really, yeah. really quick. They're no longer students, no longer playing Xbox in the dorm until midnight with the kids. How, how do you, what, what advice do you have for helping to create that separation or is that even needed at all? I think there's definitely a separation. You need to identify yourself as the coach. Uh, you're not a peer. You're not, you can be, you can be a friendly coach, but you're not their friend. And I think there's a, there, they, you need to draw the line there because you're going to have to make decisions that they aren't going to agree with. Um, so you really can't be their friends. Uh, and for, for, for me, what I did was the older kids, the seniors, and even some of the juniors that were more established and maybe similar in accomplishments to what I was, uh, say, hey, let's, let's work on a partnership, right? So I understand what you've done. You've been fairly successful. Let's partner. Let me help you advance. I'm going to take feedback from you. I expect you to take feedback from me, but let's work together to help you become the best athlete that you can be. And then with the younger kids, the sophomores and the freshmen, you guys are, you guys are younger we're building my program, my way of doing things, uh, and you're you're going to have some input, 
but don't expect to have as much input as these guys that are seniors and they're on the way out. Because a lot of times the seniors, you really don't want to come in and disrupt everything they've done, especially if they've been successful. You just want to sort of help them continue to grow. But it's important with the younger kids that you start building your system, your way of doing it, and you get buy-in there. How hard is that last thing that you said there about when you come into a new program? And I know specifically we're talking about a 23-year-old-ish person coming in, but take off that age gap because we move from spot to spot uh, during our careers coaching. So we're always, when we get a new position, a new uh, program, there's going to be seniors. Hopefully there's going to be seniors or, well, you got a lot of work to do. (laughs) Um, But how hard is that? with your ego, meaning you come in, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Like, Hey, you can't, these guys and gals have been doing stuff one way for four to in COVID times, five years. Uh, it might not be the best thing to just cut and dry, say, well, now that's all gone and we're going to do this way. How hard is that? Because you have your own system, but you realize they've been under another system and you realize that that potentially could clash if you just try to draw the line as soon as you get in. Yeah, when you go back to uh, uh, Coach Coach Craddock and talking about what's best for the program, right? Mm. So not what's best necessarily for me as the individual coach, but what's best for the program. And as for those kids that are seniors, it's probably better that I don't disrupt everything they're doing because there's going to be a learning curve. So you may go backwards before you go forwards when you start implementing new drills. And that window for those kids to reach their level of excellence is shrinking. They're a senior, they're on the way out. So let's try to figure out what things we can do to have the most immediate impact and help you advance. And then then, now you're doing what's best for the program. Mm -hmm. And with the younger kids, the best thing for the program is for them to uh, follow your model. You've been, you've been chosen to come in and lead the program and take over that event area. And you've got to establish your way of doing things. And you want to have, you want to have buy-in. Yeah, that's interesting because we, we get very possessive sometimes as coaches. And I'm just speaking from experience as my, through my college career of like, it's my group, you know, I'm in charge of this. It's my group, my athlete, you're, you're taking, you're kind of stripping that way and going up another 10,000 feet. Uh, I'm gonna call it the credit level. And uh, it's what's, what's best for the program. So how do I, as a coach fit into the program with these athletes that are in my charge with the overall goal being what's best for the program? Yeah. Yeah. When you look at successful programs out there, if you look at what uh, Robert's doing in Oregon, look at Mouse doing in Florida, Lonnie's doing, uh, Coach Craddock did, uh, Coach Fry's doing, those are those are program people. Mm-hmm. And those are programs where uh, individuals are important, but it's really about what's best for the team mm-hmm. and having kids be able to make sacrifices and put, some, put aside some of their own ambitions to really do what's best for the program. So uh, I'm really about that. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, yeah, you know, it makes me think of you mentioned great people. They're all good friends. Um, I remember when I first got to know um, Coach Cianelli, uh, Dave, over at Virginia Tech, and I asked him, I was like, so what event group are you over? And he's like, I don't have an event group. He's like, you know, I, I, I hire assistant coaches for different event groups. And then, you know, he has a decathlete multi-event background. And he's like, and I go and I help this coach become the best coach for that group. And then I'll, you know, help out with this group. And I, I just thought, that, you know, again, we talk about ego, right? We, we want to be, you know, I coached that kid to do X, Y, and Z. And I did this for this group and for him, and they've had success. I mean, how many oh, yeah. conference titles have they won? Right. For him, it's more about like, how can I, 
you know, my, my best input is to help these guys and gals as my coaches do best for their event groups. It was really a, I, I, I say unique because I, I don't know very many coaches that have that type of ability for their program as well. When we talk about, you know, not, en- not enough coaches for our programs and things like that. Yeah. When you talk about great coaches, you talk about Dave Cianelli, what a fantastic leader. Mm-hmm. I mean, as an assistant coach at uh, Florida State, and as the head coach at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, I've always admired the things he's been able to do and the things his teams have been able to do. And uh, Dave has always been a phone call away if I had a question. He's just he's just another guy similar to Dennis Nobles. He's got a wealth of knowledge. And uh, Coach Grover down at Georgia Tech. Mm. Uh, wow, just talking about great leaders that are probably some of the. Uh, I won't call them unknowns, mm-hmm. but their their personalities aren't vulgarious where they're out front, right. but behind the scenes and uh, in, in, in the quiet hours, those guys have done some fantastic things with their programs and their kids that they've led. Yeah, that, that's a great way of putting it because I, I was trying to think of how to describe Dennis Nobles when we were talking about it. I was like, maybe the the best unknown coach in the world, but, I, but, but that's not saying it right because billion people know who he is rightfully so yes. uh, yeah that's that's a good way of putting it so let's keep moving with your career now I know you're 23 when you come into Florida State and that's still a young I mean I remember being 23 feels like yesterday but it was a couple of decades ago did you foresee you know you were there at Florida State for 18 years did you foresee being there for 18 years or did you blink and oh my goodness all of a sudden it was 18 years <laughs> You really just blink and it goes. I mean, because uh, we're there and uh, other great coaches. Uh, Ken Harnden was there on the staff with us. Uh, Kim Batten was a part of the staff at one time. Kim McKenzie was there. Um, Michelle Malone was there. Uh, Jackie uh, Richards, Kareem Street Thomas. So great coaches sort of coming in there and you just sort of got family. And you're just you're just going to work and working with the kids and and um, and really enjoying what you're doing in the years just keep rolling by. As you were going through now, we can set aside that you were coaching throwers the whole time. How did your career develop through that 18 years for the other side of coaching, the side that we when we get into coaching, don't think about? quite often to be real honest with you, right? We think about just having our toes in the sand and coaching jumpers or being at the ring and spinning around on concrete, but there's a lot other things that go on with coaching from scheduling, budgeting, recruiting, personnel, et cetera. How did your career develop through those 18 years that helped you identify that you wanted to become a head coach? Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun to think about them going in uh, at 23 and uh, with uh, coach long and being the young guy on the staff, and I remember I was the one showing him how to use the fax machine. <laughs> and, and, and now I've got kids on my staff showing me how to do Google shared documents and everything else. And it's just it's just funny how how, how, how things change. But uh, uh, Terry gave me the opportunities to grow, like we said to us. So, uh, hey, you're coaching and throws, but hey, coach, I want to learn more. So, OK, why don't you be the academic liaison? So I got a chance to work with the academic advisors and kids scheduling classes and then, so well, why don't you be the liaison with compliance? So he started sort of getting your windows in there. Uh, when Terry resigned and retired, uh, Bob Brayman came in. And Bob Brayman is another great leader. Uh, he and I both interviewed for the head coaching position, which was kind of odd. Uh, uh, Bob was chosen. And I really believe at that time he was the best guy. Uh, he was more experienced. He led uh, University of South Florida. 
um, had had uh, had a really good uh, tradition. And at that time, he was the best guy for the uh, fourth position. So he was elected for the head coach. But he gave me an opportunity to stay on the staff and promoted me to associate head coach. And that was really another uh, great opportunity for me. So that gave me a chance to sort of be in the room. As the associate head coach, I got a chance to work with the business director. I got a chance to be in head coaches meetings uh, with the athletic directors, Dave Hart, and some other ones that came there. So it sort of gave you a chance to look behind the scene of what's going on and sort of looking at the administrative side of it, which is a whole different world from just coaching kids on a day-to-day. So it gave me a global view and a global perspective. And I really appreciate uh, Bob for giving me that opportunity to learn and grow. Yeah, let's put a pin in that because I definitely want to touch on that. But I, uh, you're talking about your administrators from Dave Hart. Uh, who was my guy that was there for a long time, just retired not too long ago? Mickey? Mickey. Um, he was head of facilities. Oh, not Mickey. Bernie. 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 Yeah, oh, yeah, my yeah. gosh. What an amazing guy. I, I don't have too much contact with administrators. You know, most of my focus is on coaches. Uh, but I met Bernie in the elevator in Eugene. Yeah. So, so he had a Florida State, you know, uh, probably just shirt. I don't think he had his uh, credentials on. And I grew up a huge Florida State fan. So I just said, oh, you, you know, and, and I knew I didn't recognize him as a coach. So I was like, right, it's, you know, is this a parent or something? And uh, so I was like, oh, you, you know, you're at Florida State here watching them. He's like, yeah, I'm the facility AD there. And I was like, oh, man, well, you got a great bunch of guys there, you know, Harless and Bob. And, I'll, and I think Ken was still there at that time. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, um, I was like, you know, actually, I'm driving through Tallahassee uh, like next month. And he's like, oh, really? He's like, do you want to meet with my whole staff? And I was like, well, well, yeah, Bernie, I absolutely do. Uh, but got to know Bernie through that. And then, you know, ACC's at Notre Dame and was like, I, again, I don't have much contact with administrators, but like, I was sad when he told me he was retiring. I was like, oh, yeah. Bernie yeah. is like, you're like, awesome, man. I, I love yeah. that guy. Yeah. Yeah. So Bernie, Bernie's another great guy that I've been fortunate to be around and really people that are program oriented, uh, like Bernie, Bernie was actually a former, uh, long jumper for the team at Florida State. So he's a Florida State alum, oh, I knows know the that. sport, cares about the program, and uh, was, 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 was often the voice for track and field in the meetings where we weren't there, right? Wow. And, you, and, you, and you need people like that, people that understand your sport. When decisions are being made, they can explain the rationale for cross country and track mm-hmm. and field and, while, and how some decisions that they're considering might be disadvantageous for our sports. And you really need people like that in the room. Bernie's uh, one phone call away from me, too. When I think about making awesome. transitions and life changes, he's often one of the guys that I reach out to. At the point you just made is super important. And that's why I celebrate when track coaches become administrators, uh, because, you know, we need people who understand our sport that the people that are making those decisions, we, we need them to be people who understand our sport. So and no one understands our sports better than former coaches, even. So uh, I love when when I, uh, that happens, when that next step up, uh, or, or, you know, I don't even want to say next step up because I think coaching is the greatest uh, career path you can have. So it's just a, a different career path. But I do like when we have people that are in those seats making decisions, to your point, when, uh, when no one else is in the room, decisions are being made. Maybe all the decisions are being made. So let's have some track people making definitely, those decisions. Definitely. You need to have somebody that's in that inner circle of the athletic director who's got their ear. You were extremely humble. Arliss, when you openly admitted that you also interviewed for the head coaching job at Florida State and uh, Coach Brayman Bob gets the job. So you stayed on. You were, I'm going to say, allowed to stay on, meaning that Bob is allowed to make his own decisions for his staff. Now, 
in big swath, that never happens, right? We, we say that all the time. It's like, hey, if two people interview for the job, one of them doesn't get it, has to go because uh, can't trust that guy because he wanted your job and you don't want to work for that guy because that's the job you wanted. It seems like, and I want to explore this a little bit more, the way those, that decision was made, not, not the decision to hire Bob, but Bob and you guys deciding to stay on. Cause you, you also, it's not just Bob saying yes or no to you. It's you saying, well, can I, can I also stay here? That, that takes a lot of selflessness that takes driving your ego down. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm sensing a theme here for the program. So how did that not work out, but I mean, what goes into that decision? And I know you can't answer for Bob, but that's real leadership there when it's like, yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely wanted the job. I didn't get it, but I, I, I love this program and I want to continue to help see it succeed. Yeah. So Bob and I had worked, had, had worked together because he'd been hired as the head cross country coach prior to Terry uh, resigning. So okay. we had a couple of years together in the office. I think we had a trust for each other, understood each other's values. Uh, and then I think the other people that I'd worked with at Florida State, like like Bernie, who said, hey, Harless is a good asset. Mm -hmm. uh, you may want to consider keeping him around. So and the ability, again, to sort of put the program before yourself. Right. I think right. that's really important when you're looking to hire assistant coaches, people that can see the bigger picture. And uh, I was happy that Bob uh, uh, made, made the decision to keep me around. And not only that, it put me in a position where I could continue to grow. So mm -hmm. yeah, uh, the right. title of associate head coach and sort of putting me out there on the forefront to sort of uh, be his voice when he couldn't be there and trusting that I'm going to sort of keep his vision at the forefront. Well, I love that. I love when we can show stories that are against what the common thought process is, that it just can't happen. I mean, if I poll 100 coaches, I, I truly believe 99 of them would say, yep, doesn't happen, can't happen, won't happen. And I love that both of you men, leaders, were able to like, no, no, this is what's best for the program. I have trust in him. Vice versa, it has to go both ways, by the way. And he promotes you. <laughs> I mean, if that doesn't yeah. tell you that he believed in your worth, I'm not sure what could, right? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I understand it from both sides. Uh, I understand when a new head coach is hired, often they have to make the difficult decision not to retain the old staff. Uh, because this is your opportunity. You want to select your people, mm -hmm. uh, people that you know and trust, uh, people that you feel like are going to be loyal. So it's, it's a difficult decision to let anyone go. Uh, so I don't, I've been in that position. I don't envy leaders that have to make those tough decisions. But at the end of the day, whether you decide to retain someone or you decide to go in a different direction, you've got to follow your own leadership because this is your opportunity to, to lead the program. And I don't envy people being in those decisions. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, hard, it's hard to do that because it affects people's livelihoods, especially if it's people that you know. Yeah, absolutely. So the opportunity to become the head coach of your alma mater pops up. Now, I have said this many, many times. I have a very special place in my heart for alums who are coaching at their alma mater. And I'll I will not apologize for saying this for the 102nd time, because when you call a recruit and tell them how great your school is, you, you have the most authentic proof there is. It's like, yeah, you know how, I, how awesome I think the school is? I went to school here. Like when I was your age, I chose to come to school yeah. here. So, so I love that. So how did that come about? And how did you know, and, and maybe you didn't know that you were ready to be the head coach in charge of the whole shebang? So I got the opportunity uh, to interview for the head coach job at University of North Carolina Chapel Hill 
And as an alum, again, it's always super excited to even think about that. Uh, when you think back to uh, when you were a student athlete on the team, like, man, if I was ever the head coach, I would do this and I would do that. And, blah, blah, blah. and now you have, now as an, as an adult, you're having a chance to interview for the position. So I was excited to get a chance to interview for it. Uh, even more elated when I was chosen to be the head coach at UNC Chapel Hill. Um, and I have to have a chance to, to follow Dennis Craddock. Dennis was still alive at that time. He continued to be a mentor to help me make the transition uh, into the head coaching chair. Uh, and it's really, it's really humbling to be the head coach at your alma mater. So now you've got your personal affiliation. You've got former teammates that are there. And I don't know that if maybe it's an, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a feeling of an extra obligation to really try to excel and really try to do things uh, in the right way and really try to elevate the program. So I think it's, more challenging to lead at your alma mater than it is at other institutions. Not that it's not challenging anywhere, but at your alma mater, I think it may be even more challenging just because of the personal ties that you have associated with the university. Was there ever any number of people that were there when you were a student athlete that are, that were now there as a head coach? Yeah, there were a couple that were uh, in, in, in the same opportunity uh, that were former athletes at UNC now serving as the head coach. Um, no, hold on. I didn't, I didn't ask that very well, Harlow. I'm sorry. Were there people in, in, whether it was in the athletic administration or even different aspects of the campus that you deal with as a head coach that were there when you were a student athlete? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. they knew you as an 18 year old and now they know you as the head coach. Yeah. Yeah. How, yeah. How, how does that dynamic? Because they knew you when you were just some punk kid on the team. Uh, not that you were any punk, you know, saying you're like, you're just a kid. We're, we're all kids. We all made our mistakes and did our things. But now you're an adult. You're in charge. You're responsible. Was there yeah. ever any like, man, Tarlis, I know you're asking for this, but man, I knew you when you were. 19. <laughs> you know, was there any of that or did, was it more of an acceptance of like, yeah, the guy's professional now? I think there was. Um... A little bit of both. So uh, Dr. Beth Miller was my sport oversight at UNC. Uh, she had served as interim athletic director. She had been the head volleyball coach. She had been the head basketball coach. Is a legend in uh, not only uh, at University of UNC, but in collegiate athletics also. Uh, and she had been there when I was a student athlete. Uh, so she sort of watched me uh, grow and, and as a professional and was a, a resource for there too. And uh, we were able to have some fun conversations about, hey, this is where the program is going and this is what we like to do. And she knows the history of the program. We, Harless, uh, we, do, we, we haven't had that for track and field in the past, but um, we understand this is where you want to go. And she was very, very supportive in that. So uh, it was really cool. How was it? What's the dynamic? Coach Craddock at that time was still around and helping out and kind of a coach emeritus, if you will. That was your coach and a big influence impact on you as a person and you as a coach. How, how did that work? I mean, it, to me, it would be terrifying to work with the guy who taught me everything in, in that sense, you know? You know, Coach Craddock continued to be a mentor for me. Uh, he was there whenever I needed him. He offered his opinion, offered his value, but he 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 did what uh, all great leaders do. He stepped back mm. and he gave me a chance to to lead without trying to influence, do influence on on, on the decisions. Uh, he was always there as a sounding board, 
But at the end of the day, it was, hey, make the decision that you feel like you need to make. And sometimes it's hard to do because he was there for Ever. 40 years or so. <laughs> and that, I mean, that's, his, that, that, that's his livelihood. So uh, um, he didn't agree with all the decisions I made, but he gave me the space to make those decisions. And that's that's one of the things I'm really I'm really proud for. Uh, so and then when I made mistakes, he picked me back up, said, hey, Harless, uh, th- that didn't work out the way you wanted to do. Um, but that's part of the learning curve. You're a first time head coach. You're going to get better. Um, these are some things that you may want to consider. And, and I'm here for you if you need me. What an awesome mentor you had there. Yeah, and, and, and to go full circle on it from an, an undergrad as him as the head coach of the program and you willing to raise your hand to try it for the four by four to now being the head coach and him still being that that good angel on your shoulder of like, hey, yeah, maybe this. And even more important, I love how you put that when the mistakes or things didn't work out that he was right there, not to put his finger in your face, but like, yeah, remember we did that differently back in the 90s. You know, it was more of like, hey, that's it didn't work out. Guess what? everything I tried didn't work out and he would lift you up and, and embolden you to continue to lead. Yeah. Still, still coaching, still mm, coaching. Mm. Oh man. That's so good. I love that. I love when you have this picture of someone and it actually turns out to be true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I didn't have enough conversations with coach Craddock in my life. So to hear that, you know, it kind of makes me a little sad. It's like, man, I missed out on having that guy more in my life. That's so cool, man. I love that. Another thing that you went through, excuse me, uh, that was unique during your time at North Carolina was you got to do a whole new track project. And that, you know, there's a lot of coaches that will go their entire career and never do a a track project. Talking from, you know, 50,000 foot level, not real specific, but uh, on any little detail, although there are a million little details. How did that process work out for you? And what what I mean by that is like, what were, what were the surprises when you're thinking like, oh, I'm getting a new track. Oh, great. I only have to make these couple of decisions. And you know what? I didn't realize I had to make decisions on where tree lines would go or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So that was a, a definitely a, a different time for us at Carolina when we had the opportunity to get the new indoor, the, the new outdoor facility. Uh, it's a little bit of a turmoil with alumni because the new outdoor facility went to a different locale. So we got sort of uh, allocated to uh, another off-campus venue and we sort of we sort of pulled at emotions and mm. memories and just, hey, this is where we were, this is our place. And now we've been sort of uh, uh, re- 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 repositioned. So that was a little bit tough that we got through that. Uh, but again, that was uh, Director Cunningham making decisions on a bigger scale, right? And trying to figure out what's best for the university as a whole, what's best for the department as a whole. Uh, and even though it didn't really fall in line with what 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 some of the track and field alum wanted or, or what I wanted at that point, it was best for the department as a whole. And that's a tough decision that he had to make. Uh, but when we got to building the new facility, uh, we were really excited to have a lot of input on the design, the layout, the functionality of it, what other amenities were gonna go with it. And I think it's turning out to be a really, really cool venue. I was back home in uh, Durham over the Christmas holidays, went out and took a look at it. Uh, and it's really, really a, a good venue. Uh, as an alum and as a former head coach, we always like, well, we can do this. We can add some of this. And we really want to do this. And I'm sure that uh, uh, Coach Milt down there has probably got some ideas about 
continue to enhance it. But mm-hmm. it's a really good facility, and I'm looking forward to uh, them getting a chance to compete on it. Uh, John Bynum and those guys put the facility mm-hmm. down uh, in, a, in a tough terrain, but it's a beautiful facility. Mm-hmm. They've continued to be loyal uh, contributors to the program there. So I'm really excited for them. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a beautiful location because you also have those turf fields for lacrosse and uh, probably soccer, I assume, as well. But it's it's gorgeous. I am partial to where the track was, N- not because, first of all, that, that kind of setting was actually kind of cool, too, where it was because of the buildings and stuff. But I'm a huge, um, like, efficiency guy. So I love yeah. that the track was right there by the indoor track and right there by the offices. And like that, to me, is like the ultimate awesome setup that you could have. But, but I understand. And love them or not love him, you know, Bubba Cunningham, the AD, did, was he there? Was he your hiring AD? Was he was, he okay. was, yes. So I don't know if you remember, he was my AD at Ball State University. I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, he came in from Notre Dame and he and I kind of had a, a neat little relationship because, you know, he comes from Notre Dame and he's Bubba Cunningham and I'm the guy from Alabama. Um, like, you know, Bubba, shouldn't, shouldn't they be calling me Bubba? Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm Bubba, I'm from Alabama. So, yeah. um, but I, I, you know, I do have a, a personal soft spot for him. You know, we only were together for one year. I was the assistant coach on the women's side under the great Sioux park. So we just recently had on the podcast and, uh, you know, he's trying to, he hired a uh, Brady Hoke to be our head coach for football. So, I mean, you know, he's got a lot of things he's going on. Uh, he made a terrible de- decision to drop the men's program, uh, track and field there, but we were together for a very small time. Uh, I came to visit you one year and, uh, we, we had our meeting. It went great. You were very gracious. Thank you for having me, sir. Uh, but then I was like, you know, I'm going to pop over and say hi to Bubba. He's not, you know, I'm sure he's going to throw me out. You know, I, I won't even get past the gatekeeper. So uh, I go up to where his office is, to his, where his secretary is. And I was like, hey, you know, is Bubba Cunningham around? I was like, I work for him back at Ball State. And she's like, yeah, what's your name? And I was like, oh, she's going to think like I'm related. And I was like, well, <laughs> I was like, Mike Cunningham, but no, no relation at all. I was like, and if he's busy, you know, I get it. She goes, oh, you know, have a seat. I'll, I'll be right back. And so it takes a few minutes. And I was like, oh, he's telling her like how to get rid of me. You know, I mean, right. he's, he's the AD of UNC. Here's this lowly equipment guy for track come on man you know and uh, she comes back out and says hey he's actually in a finance meeting right now but he asked if you have five minutes to wait and he'll he'll come out and I was like okay so now this is his stall tactic to get rid of me you know I'm so negative like he's Bubba's not meeting with me five minutes later Bubba comes out says Mike how have you been how's everything where have you been since ball state like I was really because I'm like you know the head the AD of UNC is a big job and for him to remember this lowly assistant coach of track and field, I was, I was pretty impressed with him, even though he's now saying some things that I'm not really happy with in regards to sports and football and basketball and money and things like that. So, yeah, it's a, it's, 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 it's a tough job and it's a difficult chair to sit in because you're going to have to make decisions that everybody's not going to agree with. Got a lot of respect for Bubba. Um, uh, and we did end up uh, parting ways, deciding not to renew my contract there. So I was going through a little bit of emotional standpoint of that. But again, having the ability to separate and sort of look at the, the, the global picture uh, and athletic directors having to make decisions that are, or that, 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 that are the tough decisions to make. I can't imagine the decisions that athletic directors across the country now are making with COVID protocols and competitions, name, image, and likeness. So it's just really challenging chair to sit in. So uh, um, I I think he's done a good job. Well, what leaders do is they make decisions that are not popular with some segment 
of the people that are affected from track coaches to ADs. But what's the real popular quote from Nick Saban? If you want to make everyone happy, sell ice cream. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Except for lactose intolerant people, they're, that, that doesn't make them happy. But uh, so, so I get it. Yeah, it's tough. And it's, you know, you're never it, it, until you're in that chair, you, you have no idea of all the different influences that are coming at you in that. Uh, so you mentioned, you know, uh, things maybe ended for lack of a better term, unceremoniously, uh, where do we go from UNC? Yeah, so I had the opportunity to uh, come to Colgate University here in Hamilton, New York. Uh, the athletic director here is Dr. Nikki Moore, another amazing leader uh, that's got a really strong voice in the industry, has a really strong presence. And I think she's going to be, uh, I think she is, but I think she's going to continue to be a superstar in leadership throughout the NCAA athletics. She's truly an amazing individual. Uh, she asked me to come in in um, October or November of 19, the previous head coaches stepped aside, and she asked me to come in and do an assessment of the program. Mm. Uh, I said, well, that'll be a cool experience to sort of go in and sort of take a deep dive uh, based upon my years of experience in the sports and having a chance to be around successful programs and building successful programs. So I came in as a uh, consultant and special assistant and interim head coach from October uh, for 1920. And it was saying, what is Colgate? Where is Colgate? What are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? How do we fit within the Patriot League? How do we fit nationally? And what do we need to do to build a more competitive program? So when, so well, when you're the consultant, you can be brutally honest. I'm, like, I'm <laughs> yeah, doing this, I'm doing that. We yeah. need this, we need that. And we were able to uh, sort of be in the chair and take a look from the inside noticing weaknesses and strengths and sort of come up with a plan to elevate the program. So we were doing that process uh, October till uh, January, March, and then we all got affected by COVID-19 mm. and everybody went back home to uh, work in remote. So I, sub I submitted that project uh, in, in June, that evaluation. And after going through the evaluation with her, uh, she asked me if I'd be willing to come back as a full-time head coach to help implement the plan. Uh, and I was excited about that. That's a good consultant plan. When the, the very last <laughs> thing, what, what should Colgate do? Hire me. That's my unbiased <laughs> opinion, deep diving into everything. That's what it, uh, I think is the best thing. Uh, now it's interesting that you did this because I don't know that this happens at all. This consultancy type using your experience. I'm a big believer in, in today's environment and it's sadly been going on for quite a while when schools are contemplating dropping track programs. Um, you know, I counsel coaches, head coaches primarily of like making the business case. We don't always think about our um, programs as businesses because we're dealing with sport, right? We're dealing with fun and track and throwing and jumping, but we don't think about like, you know, there are real dollars being spent for your program with salaries, uh, uh, scholarships, equipment, facilities, it's, it's a business at the end of the day, no matter what school you're at, whether you're at a power five UNC or you are at a D three school Juco, it is still, there is still a PL statement at the end of the year. When yeah. It's all said and done. Did you, during that consultancy, did you look at it from that side? Like not so much like, and, and maybe I don't want to put words in the mouth Were you looking at it more of like, Hey, here's what Colgate track and field uh, brings to the school and why it's important, or were you more on the, here's how we should, here, here's a, a consideration on how to move the program forward? It was more of the uh, consideration of how to move the program forward. So, okay. but in doing so, but in doing that, you look at uh, the numbers, 
how much are we spending in recruiting? What's our travel budget? What's our operational budget? Uh, coaches' salaries, are they competitive mm-hmm. within the market? And trying to say, hey, these are the implements. These are the things that need to be moved around uh, to make it a more competitive environment for the kids and for the program as a whole. Uh, that's a, uh, you know, we couldn't have practiced that better, Harless. What a great segue to uh, one of our last topics today when you talk about salaries and are they competitive and, um, you know, how are we doing uh, attracting talent, not only athletically, but um, coaching wise, coaching staff wise, et cetera. Tell me about this. You and I had a conversation back at the convention about this new venture that you're on called Coaches Central. I've seen a few different Twitter posts and things like that as well. Tell me more about what this is and, and why you're doing it, why you're leading this. Yeah, so we start thinking about our, our initial conversation about uh, what's good for the program, right? Uh, we're trying to give every coach a voice in the industry, right? So uh, there are thousands of track and field coaches out there that are doing exceptional jobs. And I saw that when I moved Northeast, so it's a whole new region of the country for me, a lot of new schools. And I'm watching these young coaches out there and say, wow, who is this coach? And they, they did this, they have these accomplishments. They are, they're doing phenomenal jobs. But if I had not been here at Colgate, I would have never known some of these new young coaches exist. Hmm. So we started thinking about it on a global scale. Um, There are tons of tons of talented coaches that are simply invisible in the marketplace. So most of the time when we get ready to hire coaches, I only see the coaches that are in my limited network. But what about the other talented coaches out there, equally talented, that are willing and, and want to have new opportunities that I can't see? So we started looking at the LinkedIn model. Uh, but said, you know, that's a really good model, but it covers way too much. It's too broad. Mm. We wanted to develop something that was specifically for collegiate athletics. Uh, And now that includes coaches, that includes compliance directors, includes uh, academic advisors, anybody that works specifically in collegiate athletics, giving those people a voice. So a lot of times when we're doing the if I call you and I'm looking for a distance coach, you say, hey, college, you might want to look at John, right? So I'm going to go on John School's website. And I'm going to do a Google, uh, say, who is this guy? But and when you're looking at that information, the John has no input in that. It's no voice. So Google might be updated, might be some old articles. But what I really want to do with Coach Essential is give us a place for John to share with us what he'd want us to know. This is who I am. These are my values. This is my work history. These are some of the athletes that I've worked with. I wanted John's voice. And I want to be able to meet these people that are outside of my network so that I can have a more comprehensive pool when I'm trying to interview, when I'm trying to fill positions. Uh, and it sounded like a really simple idea. And it is at heart. It's just giving everybody a chance to tell their own story. But we've been three years in developing it. Mm-hmm. So it's been uh, working with engineers, working with the website, trying to get everything to work the right way. And we finally got it ready and we're anxious to push it out to the market. So it's really just trying to give everybody a voice. Is it more or less the marketplace of what jobs are open or more of what you mentioned that LinkedIn model, more of the professionalism? And I, and I even almost heard like, 
making your resume live, like you, you get to, cause I've seen, you know, I went and poked around of course, and you know, I've seen like where you can add videos, like your own videos to it and things like that. So it's almost like a uh, multimedia resume and not just a static, here's, here's a resume of John. And I don't really know much besides the name yeah. of the school or something. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a big move for name, image, and likeness now out there for students, athletes and have a chance to sort of brand themselves and tell their whole stories. So with Coaches Central, not only are you getting the raw data, this is who, this is my work experience, these are my accolades, but there's actually a video introduction and opportunities for you to add additional videos. So if you had five minutes with the person making the hire, this is what you wanted to say. This is who I am. And it's giving you that chance to present yourself uh, in a professional format on a platform that's dedicated specifically to athletics so it doesn't get lost out there. Is this geared more towards job seekers or job hirers? You know, it can work for both. Hmm. Uh, uh, we, we talked to some people that says, well, do I need Coach Essential if I already have a job, if I'm not looking for a job? And the answer is yes, because even though you're not looking, it's not like you don't want to be seen, hmm. right? Uh, so if there are other opportunities that you're qualified for, you want to be visible, uh, and uh, maybe there's a new offer that entices you that you weren't that you weren't thinking about. Um, the other part of it is in creating your coach essential profile, you're telling your own story. Mm. So when I say, well, who is Mike? I'm not limited to what the website says, not limited to what Google says. It's you saying, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. And it's you controlling your own brand will give you a chance to do that. So whether you're looking for a position or you're not looking for a position, you want to be able to control your brand, how you're seen, and uh, and, and 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 your your reputation uh, in the market. Because right now you are what Google says you are, or you are what uh, if I call Mike, you, you are who Mike says you are. Right. And this gives you the opportunity to take control of it and tell your own story. I love busting myths. And we talked about one earlier about, you know, the assistant coach who doesn't get the head coaching job and the other guy comes in and he's automatically out uh, because he also applied for the job. I love we busted that myth. Another myth that we have out there is uh, all jobs uh, and, and, you know, go check out our friends at letsrun.com on their coaching message. It's the only one I read every year and 90% of his tomfoolery, but there's 10% good in that one thread. Uh, but if you were to believe that you would say you would believe that every single track and we're talking track coaching specifically here job is already filled before it's put out there that, that's bubkiss by the way but that's the myth that you it is who you know that gets you the job does this help with the um, expansion of if I'm a head coach hiring instead of only knowing my box and the people that I know or the people that I know and who they know, does this allow me to have a bigger purview of potential coaches out there? Yeah, it gives you a national purview. Um, and you know, the, 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 the myth that every position is already filled before it's advertised is a myth. Uh, but the truth of it is that people start searching before jobs are advertised. Sure. So now when they're searching, if I'm looking for a throws coach with a master's degree that is coached at division one or division two level that's worked with all Americans and you're a member of Coach Essential and you meet those protocols, when I do the search, you come up. Mm -hmm. So whether I know you or not, you're now visible and you can be considered. And I think that's what everybody wants. It's not that, hey, 
give me the job. It's just uh, give me a chance to present myself and present my information so that I could be considered. Right. Allow and me to talk, earn that job. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's everybody starting at the same part of the, at the same place on the starting line. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're not visible, then your, your, your chances of getting the position are, are highly unlikely. Now, my experience with great head coaches on all levels, to your point there of the, the, before the job is posted, they're already searching. But even before that, the, the great coaches that I've, I've had the um, blessing to, to get to know, they are always looking. They're, they're in the business world, we talk about we're always hiring. Like we're always looking for when a position does open up, not when a position opens up and starting then, like, we're always like, yeah, that, that person might be good. This person might be good. And all the great head coaches there, you know, when they're at meets and they're talking to an assistant at so, such and such university, they're always thinking like, Hey, would this be a good fit for my program? If I ever had a position open, this seems to allow that type of coach or people who strive to become that type of coach, kind of early research to like, Go around to your point about the the way you can kind of search the parameters and and start looking at different people around the country. Yeah, it really is. When I, mean, I think about it now, because as a head coach, I'm very fortunate. That I've got a really good staff. I'm not trying to run any of my people off. I'm happy with them. We're actually trying to to hire the next person. Mm-hmm. But when they get opportunities to move on, they get another opportunity to advance their career. I'm excited for them. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, that's amazing. And I'm excited that other coaches are looking within my program because it just says, hey, I've got good people. Right. right? So when I'm out at the meets and I'm watching young coaches, I'm like, well, wow, who coaches that ball? That ball has done a good job. Who is that? Right. Mm-hmm. So now if I know, I don't even have to know the coach. I'm just so show me pole vault coaches that have coached at University of Albany. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, now I've got your information. And I've got your voice, the things that you wanted to share, and I can put you on a short list of people to consider. Hey, if I ever have to make a change, I want to remember this person. And Coach Essential allows you to do that. You can go in and generate short lists and follow people so that you're more prepared as a leader when changes do occur. And if you, um, if you aren't the leader, you're more visible early on before these decisions, before these conversations uh, are, even start happening. Give us your thoughts on this topic we talked about at the convention. So this is a job, I don't want to call it a job seeking service. It's a, I almost want to call it a coaching professionalism service. It's, it's raising the bottom. It's making us more and more professionals as track coaches. What about the concern about if I'm an assistant coach and I'm on there, oh man, my head coach is going to see it and they think I'm looking for another opportunity. Yeah, we've had that we've had the comments from a number of people. And I really to be candid with you, I think it's something that we've got to get over. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, most head coaches were assistant coaches at one point. Um, some head coaches are still looking for opportunities to grow themselves. Um, most of us have LinkedIn pages, we have Facebook pages, we have Instagram pages, but nothing specifically dedicated to collegiate athletic to, to collegiate athletics for us to post our stuff. So uh, I think it's good for the service and anything new is going to be a little shaky. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think overall it's good for the profession. And I think that everyone needs to have a chance to tell their own story and a chance to be seen. Uh, our, our, our service is free. Uh, you can join it for free. And I think it's a great networking opportunity for coaches, not only in track and field, but coaches in any discipline or anybody that works in, in, in collegiate athletics. I think that our industry is a billion dollar industry 
And I think that we're going about the hiring of coaches and searching for coaches in a really antiquated way. And I really wanted to provide something that was new to the market, something that was good for the program, good for the sport, good for the industry to help everybody have a chance to be seen and have everybody give everybody a chance to tell their own stories. And I love that you have a super easy URL to remember as well, by the way. So it's coachescentral.com. We'll have the link down in the show notes as well as you're building this. And, and, and you know, obviously we're talking track coaches specifically, but it's it's not called track coaches central. It's coaches central. This is for baseball, lacrosse, yeah, soccer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what's good for the whole, right? What's good for the program? What's good for the industry? There are amazing young coaches out there. It's going to help athletic directors find next head coaches. It's going to help assistant coaches find new opportunities. But most important, it's giving everybody a chance to tell their own story, to create their own profile, uh, and, and to share it. Uh, well, there, there have been some changes now in the NCAA. So now that when you create your coach's central profile, you can control it. You can edit it. Up, uh, you can edit it daily, upgrade it. You can even send it to recruits. Mm -hmm. So now this is a new way for you to introduce yourself. A lot of times at smaller institutions, uh, they're particularly under, they're, they're a little understaffed. So uh, sports information can't get around to do everything, but this gives you a tool that you can manage and it's right there in your hand. I, I love that. I never, that kind of came out of left field for me. I love that aspect of the recruiting uh, as I'm a big believer in the better that you can get to know the recruit and vice versa. Cause now, and especially, and think, you know, I'm so glad, Harless, that I stopped coaching before before social media, before cell phones, and before NIL. And, and I'm a supporter of NIL, but I, I don't know how you keep your head on straight with everything that's going on. It's wild, wild west out there uh, right now for that stuff, man. Um, but I, I, I do believe that the better the athletes get to know you and your program as a recruit, I have to believe in my heart of hearts that that will reduce the number of transfers you have out of your program. So I love this aspect of like, Hey, he, here I am nuts and bolts, warts and all, you know, you've got to decide that I'm the right person for you as a coach. And so this is a, another Avenue for that. I didn't even think about that. That's really, that's really unique. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's similar to what you guys are doing, what you're doing with Guild athletics with these podcasts. Mm -hmm. uh, these are, this is a chance for you to get to know the coach a little better. Mm -hmm. right? Who is this guy? You can look at the, the school website, but really, who, who are they? What are they about? What's their personality? It really brings the person to life, right? We talk, to, we talk about virtually putting you in the room where decisions are being made. And this is your chance to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my, our age demographics tells us that recruits right now on in mass are not listening to our podcast, which I don't know oh, if that no. just means 17 and under people are just not listening to podcasts at all. But I guarantee you, if I was being recruited by Colgate and I saw, I, first of all, I'd Google you just like you're talking about, you're at the mercy of Google. I would 100% Google. And if I saw you were interviewed on a podcast, I would 100% thousand percent listen to it because i was like I, i'm putting my my four years hopefully into this guy i better learn more about him so um but i also want to make sure that coaches because i don't want them to have that thought process when we interview either right because I, I want open and authenticity and i love your openness and authenticity karen dennis at ohio state uh you know floored me when she was talking about going from a unlv to ohio state and i was like so why why'd you leave and you know you said he had a good thing going she's like well i was fired and i was like wow you know she did not have to say that at all you did not have to Talk about how, you know, the, the, the way UNC uh, ended. I just love, to me, that says more about you and your character and, and Karen's character, right? It's like open, honest, hey, here's what happened. Here's how we move forward. I'm prospering. We're all prospering. Uh, we're, we're moving forward. But I, I do love that aspect of the recruiting. 
so you said, so it's coachescentral.com. Like I said, links down in the uh, show notes here. Uh, and it'll probably be, you know, I'll be shooting it out on Twitter, of course, because that's where I, I live my life. They, they talk about the metaverse. I'm already there. I'm on Twitterverse. That's, <laughs> that's where I live my life. Um, but you said it's free to join. So talk to us about how, how, how do you join? Like, is there a simple join button and how, how difficult, how, how if, if I'm going to start right now creating my account, what do you think roughly time commitment is to get this thing up and running? So if you're going to start, I'd recommend uh, getting your resume out so that it's easily accessible um, and uh, finding the picture of yourself that you really like that's going to that's gonna give you that winning smile. It's going to take you probably 20 to 30 minutes to do the, the, to, to, to do it, right? So yeah. uh, you get a chance to input your data. The, the, the system is user-friendly. Uh, the things that may take you a little bit more time is creating the videos, right? So the videos can be created on your phone. Some people have hired uh, more professional people to do it, but you want to make sure that you're putting your best foot forward. It's really easy to use. Uh, the Again, we've got a couple of different packages. The base package is free for anybody that's young because we want everybody to have we want everybody to have a voice. Uh, the the other packages will cost you a little bit more and it provides you some additional services. But the fundamentals that everybody needs, we're making it free to the market. We just want to get people using it and so so they can also see the benefit of it. Harless, you're a head coach. You've been a head coach. You're a great throws coach. You have a family. I assume somewhere you have a personal life. You have interest in friends outside of track. Why at this stage of your career are you taking on this is a big challenge you mentioned all the challenges of getting this thing up and going why now what what's what's the reasoning for you behind this you know um i've got other people helping me with this so i'm not it's not truly just my project so i'm a voice i'm a contributor but there are a lot of people other people doing the doing a lot of behind the scenes work uh but when i went through a coaching transition i saw i it helped me see the need for it uh, and as I look around now at other coaches, uh, as we continue to hire coaches and look for coaches, there was nothing like it specifically for collegiate athletics. And again, uh, with Coach Craddock and Coach Long and other people say, hey, what's good for the program? What's good for the sport? How can we give back to everybody? How can we help everybody advance? And we feel like this was a tool and a service that everyone could benefit from. Uh, so we're excited about it. Well, I'm a fan, it, you know, my heart and passion and our, uh, our whole why our mission statement here at Gale Athletics, it is 100% about the coaches. Uh, and me personally, you know, as a former coach myself, it's all about lifting up the professionalism of coaches. This isn't a, a hobby job. No one, no one, uh, no other profession, accountants, doctors, store clerks, business owners go about our business in some of the ways that we do, unfortunately, uh, in track and field specifically coaching. So anything that we can lift up professionalism, lift up salaries, lift up contracts, uh, stability is always a good thing. And people getting other jobs, because that's, you know, moving up in the ranks and getting more money for you and your family and maybe coming back home, things like that. Those are all extremely important. So when you first introduced this to me, it was like, oh, this is a this is a no-brainer. This is a helper for our track coaches out there. So I highly recommend, even if you have doubts, let's say you got 100% doubts, and you're like, no, this is just LinkedIn. And by the way, I've been on both. I'm big on LinkedIn as well. This is not the same. It's it's actually better in that sense of, of what we're trying to accomplish here, uh, what they're trying to accomplish here through Coach Essential. Go check it out. Just be a little curious. Just go check it out before you just say no. Go to coachessential.com. 
mess around with it. It's it's free for the for just to have an, a thing, right? So just yeah. just just, just uh, nothing ever is bad for free. That's, that may be actually not be true, but in this case, this is not, you know, go taste Coaches Central uh, and check it out and see how it might help you. And then, you know, I love that it's not, you know, my heart and soul is track coaches, but I love that it's other coaches. I know you have friends, a volleyball coach, a soccer coach, baseball, softball, lacrosse, field hockey, uh, bowling, you know, we got, you know. We got all these coaches out here. Uh, spread the word because, you know, I'm track focused, so we're only going to be talking to track coaches. But, uh, you know, I'd love to see coaches in general get the the due that they are, uh, that they're due out there for all the things they do for young people out there. So, Heartless Man, thank you so much, uh, not only for being here today, but, you know, when we get to this age and stage of our career, we have something that we didn't have as a 23-year-old rookie coach at Florida State, and that's perspective. Right. We've been through processes. We've been through interviews. We've been through running our own programs. We've uh, had this up and this down. And now at this age, we're able to look back and go, man, if I could have done something different, it would have been X, Y, and Z. So I love that you're utilizing that experience to give back to others. And that's ultimately what Coaches Central and what you did as a consultant for the Colgate program. And now as the head coach of that program, uh, you're giving back to others and giving value to others. And that's, that's ultimately, again, legacy. And that's one of the most important things out there. And you're leaving a, uh, to use a UNC term here, a big footprint, which is the weirdest thing in the world, but I love it, uh, out there for track and field coaches. Well, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you helping to share Coaches Central with the rest of the community out there. And I appreciate Gill Athletics because I think you're doing some of the same things. By having these coaches on here, I'm glad to be selected. You're giving us a chance to tell our own stories, getting people to know, getting a chance to know the coach behind the coach and helping people advance throughout the profession. So thanks to Gill Athletics and thank you, uh, Mike, for having me on. Well, you nailed it. Your story matters, whether you are at Colgate, UNC, the Western, it does not matter where you are. If you're a track coach, your story matters. And it's just, uh, it's one of the best parts of my job. It is the best part of my job, to be real frank, uh, is, is, is sitting here, sitting down with coaches for an hour plus and really learning their story. And I'm just so hum uh, humbled and happy that you shared yours with us today. All right. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Carlos. Thanks, Mike. What an incredible journey Coach has been on. So awesome to hear their story in their own words. Tremendous proof of the positive effects coaches make on a daily basis. Help us spread the word of this great journey by sharing on your favorite social media channel. And don't forget to take a minute to rate and review the podcast. You just might get a shout out on a future episode. That's it for today. Join us next week when we'll connect you with another amazing coach.